So hello and welcome to the Indian Ocean Web Podcast. My name is Julie Babel, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow here at the Indian Ocean Web Center at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. I am joined today by Dr. Manikarnita Duta. Dr. Duta is a historian of colonialism and medicine with a special focus on the British Empire in South Asia. She holds a master in modern history from University of Calcutta and an MSc in History of Science, Medicine and Technology, funded by a Wellcome Trust Master Studentship of the University of Oxford. Her doctorate research was a part of the Wellcome Trust funded project entitled From Sail to Steam, Health, Medicine and the Victorian Navy. It examined the co-emergence of British maritime and tropical hygiene and the importance of sanitary reform for empire building. Dr. Duta research until now has produced three peer-reviewed publications and has won the Taniguchi Medal in 2018, as well as the William Bynum Essay Prize in 2021. Dr. Duta's research examines the relationship among colonialism, medicine, and public health and race in colonial India. She received the Royal Historical Society Early Career Fellowship Grant in 2021 to develop her doctoral thesis into a monograph which explores the health and welfare of European seamen in British naval and merchant fleets in the Indian Ocean, both on board ships and in major Indian port cities. In doing so, it expands the historical understanding of key role of mobile British subaltern uh, subjects in shaping British imperialism and tropical and maritime hygiene in the 19th century. Currently, Dr. Duda is working as a research associate in the Invisible Crisis, Neglected History, Malaria in Asian 19th Century to Present project, where she's developing a collaborative output on the cooperation between the British colonial state in malaria research and eradication in the 20th century India. Today, we are going to discuss her work on maritime health and hygiene, health and welfare of European seamen in Indian port cities that include her paper, Idial Cholera, British Seamen and Maritime Anxiety in Calcutta in 1930s to 1990s, that was published by Cambridge University Press. This paper examined how the British Naval Authority ships and surgeon and the medical and municipal authority in Calcutta sailor town thought to improve maritime health and hygiene to prevent the spread of cholera among British seamen. All the details about Dr. Duta papers will be available on the description of this podcast. So with further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Duda to the IOW podcast. And we are very thrilled to have you here with us today and excited to begin our discussion with you. So to start us off, could you explain how you became interested in social history of medicine? Thank you so much, Julie, for this wonderful introduction, and um, and I'm I'm really happy to be a part of this wonderful podcast series. Um, so as as you mentioned, um, so I'm particularly interested in the social histories of medicine, uh, more broadly conceived uh, in its relation to the histories of empire and colonialism. So and it's this interconnectivity, uh, you know, this connected and the transnational histories of the local with the global. It's something that really fascinates me in the sense the way the empire and uh, and you know as as well as the other global networks were integral to the shaping of the post colonial societies and what i really attempt to show in my research that it's really important to kind of go beyond the binaries 
such as the co-periphery model, or be it the nation and the empire, or the West and the traditional, or even the colonial and the metropole model, uh, towards a more continuum history rather than like just showcasing it as a rupture. Now, and I'm really passionate about public health histories. So I've worked on the histories of Western medicine in the British Empire. And I'm uh, really keen and interested in the colonial, uh, colonial and global histories of disease, health, and hygiene. And um, so in sum, I have a broad range of interests broadly under the umbrella of the history of the modern Western medicine with uh, additional niche uh, specialism in colonial health and hygiene, medicine, and the movement of knowledge, people transnationally. And um, I'm, I'm kind of really interested in the flows and circulation of ideas, knowledge production and institutions across these um, uneven terrain. Uh, so my research so far has examined the history of public health, medicine and race and mobility in the British Empire. And I've engaged in doing so, I've engaged with methods from imperial and colonial histories and the histories of public health and medicine, and, um, and as well as social, uh, social histories to analyze the co-emergence of tropical maritime hygiene and the importance of sanitary reform in empire building. And uh, as you said that I'm currently trying to write my monograph, which is again based on my default research, which kind of explores how British imperialism took shape in the tropical waters and coast through the scientific understanding of tropical climate and intervention in maritime tropical hygiene. Um, so my work kind of uh, mostly focuses on the key role of the health and welfare of the European seamen in British naval and the merchant fleet, as you pointed out, uh, both on the boat ships and in the Indian port cities. And I, I have studied Bengal and Calcutta as a case study, and Calcutta as a port, uh, as a port city. And uh, in doing so, my, uh, my research studies the making of the British imperial politics through maritime health intervention in the tropics and through the scientific understanding of tropical climate and experiments with the tropical hygiene. So in my research, I show how the development of maritime hygiene through the 19th century was entangled with certain ideas of the tropics and the tropical hygiene, the sanitary environment of lived spaces, race and imperialism. Now the resulting hygiene, uh, hygienic and sanitary innovations were thus product not only of imperial medicine, but also transnational connection of people, places and ideas. Uh, something that is very integral to my research framework. Now the aim of the study is uh, twofolded. So first is to see how and to what extent maritime medicine helped to shape the understanding of health and hygiene in the tropics. So when it comes to the agency of the European troops and military surgeons in shaping public health in British India, this is something that has generated um, like quite a few historical works. But when it comes to the impact of European seamen and maritime medicine, there is very little still that is, uh, had, has been written or known. And uh, secondly, is, um, is to expand our current understanding of imperial medicine in the British colony through a study of mobile uh, British subjects and health policies across various imperial sites. And in my research, it argues that seamen's health in transit and in imperial ports uh, and in imperial port cities was instrumental in the development of tropical hygiene and sanitary reform uh, as an indispensable mechanism for empire building, as I say. 
So it's so it's through the studying of these uh, go-betweeners who link the metropole, that is Britain and the periphery, which is the colonies and the role of imperialism and philanthropy in shaping public health, that it can broaden our understanding of how the political, medical and civilian personnel of the British Empire governed uh, the poor and the vulnerable white imperial subjects. So uh, thank you, Dr. Dutta. Uh, could you tell us more why were the sailors of particular concern to colonial policemaker? And why were their moral called into question more regularly than, say, soldiers? Also, why are they more connected uh, with disease like cholera? Thank you, Julie, for that question. So uh, the seamen had an important role uh, in pushing Britain's imperial frontiers. And apart from the kind of role that obviously was played by the army, so they defended the homeland, uh, the overseas territories from the invasion of the obviously the rival empire, secured trade routes, and obviously uh, and again facilitated trade and commerce. Um, so when it comes to the sailors, imagined by the British as exceptionally undisciplined lot, if I could say so, since the Middle Ages, the seamen were um, kind of visualized as this problematic category of people. Um, you know, they had this image where um, they, their reputation of being like rootless, often violent, promiscuous, and even dyspomaniac. That, uh, so it's this, it's their wild and, you know, it's this uh, non-committal character that was so entrenched, you know, in popular imagination. And uh, in fact, even in maritime fictional and non-fictional um, works that, you know, kind of, portrayed them as habitual troublemakers. And uh, so they were kind of widely considered to be this dangerous, immoral, and you know, in fact, their activities uh, were seen to have jeopardized not only their health and careers, but also their families and the places they visited or inhabited. And uh, so, it, so it's this, um, this entire uh, understanding of uh, who these sailors were and their image and their health um, connection is something that really kind of uh, intrigued me. And I, I really wanted to know their story. So that's, uh, so when I was kind of trying to understand their um, health condition and, you know, like, uh, what, what are the diseases that they suffered from, I also felt that it, into, that's why I kind of talk about the welfare of the seamen, trying to understand, um, uh, you know, like their well-being, sort of. So it's this, you know, like the critical attitudes towards the seamen, arguably, started, in fact, to change towards the late 18th century. As you know, as the naval authorities be, uh, or even the Christian missionaries, the authors, the playwrights, they kind of uh, sought to kind of project them as uh, valiant founders of Britain's uh, maritime empire. So now they were kind of, you know, uh, portrayed um, simultaneously as, uh, you know, like as some, uh, as, you know, uh, as men full of masculine aggression, uh, but again, needing severe regulation at the same point. But when I'm talking about the European seamen in Indian port cities, uh, this is again uh, quite interesting because they were also again seen as a disreputable section of the European settlers in India, and and you know and also as a group of highly visible white subalterns whose action kind of threatened to dismantle this edifice, you know, of racial ideological superiority that uh, that uh, that was kind of built by the colonial state. 
So it's the reckless behavior of these seamen kind of that brought them close, closer to the uncivilized natives in the eyes of the state. Uh, so now coming to the second part of your question as to why cholera or like as to why a disease is like cholera. Now, um, now it's important to understand that cholera arguably was, um, was which is which was spread by transmission through water, like as in through ships or the surface that is road, you know, like as in the the different modes of transport, along with public gatherings as such as markets, fairs, or or even pilgrimage sites. Uh, something that has been pointed out by uh, historians uh, like David Arnold. Now, also advocates of contagion theory had seen it spread across the vast oceans as evidence of its trans transmissibility. Um, now, now, it's important again to kind of remember that uh, in the 1830s or 40s or the 50s, there was little um, kind of comparatively little concern with this, uh, the connection between cholera being a shipborne infection. But again, at the same time, the expansion of the steam navigation had made it possible for ships to reach their destination more quickly than ever before. So, um, so it's this entire kind of, you know, transition from uh, sail to steam really helped, uh, you know, diseases now to kind of travel at a much faster pace. In fact, um, like the steam power also enabled the construction of larger and stronger vessels made of iron, which were now capable of carrying more people, uh, which kind of, again, the spreading more germs, if I could say so, something that again has been pointed out by uh, Mark Harrison. So it was during the fourth wave of the cholera epidemic, that is in 1865, that, um, that cholera approached Europe for the first time by sea instead of land routes. And that, that was in the aftermath of an epidemic during the Hajj pilgrimage in Mecca. And following that year, that is in 1866, which uh, during the third international scientific conference, which was held in fact in Constantinople, that kind of discussed how infected, um, you know, passengers, pilgrims, and of course the seamen, as in how they kind of carried the cholera to to the Egyptian and the Mediterranean, uh, Mediterranean ports and subsequently to Europe. So now, uh, like, uh, so now if, if you could say so that the seamen's or the immigrants labor laborers as well, um, increasing mobility that will kind of intensify the threat of the global disease dispersion, thus making their health a global concern. So, uh, so coming to your question as to why the connection between um, the seamen and cholera. So this is the this is the thing that I kind of talk about in my research, that how a seamen were increasingly recognized and seen as potential carriers of uh, diseases such as epidemic cholera, or even for that matter, plague and yellow fever later on. Uh, thank you very much for uh, your answer. So also one of the topic of particular interest on this show is climate and also climate uh, climatic crisis. So keeping this in mind, could you tell us more about the connection between cholera and its association with Bengal? Uh, more specifically, how does the environment of Bengal uh, play in your analysis, and what are uh, how did the differences in Indian and European climate influence contemporary medical thinking and colonial policy? 
Um, again, thanks, uh, Julie, for that question. And so when we're talking about cholera, um, so it's, um, so cholera was essentialized as an Indian disease. Uh, I'll expand on that more later. So the first uh, epidemic, uh, cholera epidemic was uh, found to be kind of happening first in Joshua, uh, in Bengal in in the August of 1817 and uh, and it's from there that it kind of spread to the other parts of Bengal and later India and then the rest of uh, the world. In fact the waves of the cholera that engulfed in uh, India between 1817 and 1821 um, is kind of set to be a turning point in the history of subcontinent um, by Professor Mark Harrison. And again, David Arnold also has also pointed out that few diseases in the 19th century uh, appeared to be as violently destructive as epidemic cholera. Uh, so, so kind of taking uh, these very two important statements in mind, um, so just, just to understand uh, cholera, so as a term, cholera was already present for long. It, it wasn't something that just happened in 1817. In fact, uh, uh, historians have already written that very much even in, uh, in the 18th century, cholera kind of struck even the European troops for that matter. So it wasn't something that was completely new to Bengal. But of course, the, the strength uh, and the spread of uh, the disease was uh, obviously something that uh, was new in the sense that it kind of really engulfed, if I could say that it didn't even leave one continent missing. But in fact, um, the term cholera, uh, cholera rather, according to the Hippocratic understanding of health, which kind of emphasized the necessary balance which, uh, among the four humors, which is kind of namely uh, blood, flame and the black bile and the yellow bile. So it was this discharge of the excess of the yellow bile, which is kind of uh, called as cholera, that kind of caused cholera or the cholera morbus that was already known in the West. So the form of cholera that was known to the Euro Europeans was uh, kind of associated more like something like diarrhea. So it was not usually that fatal, but this new cholera, as they understood, was more malignant and more pervasive than the old disease. And, uh, and now coming back to your question is that how uh, cholera was understood and kind of um, essentialized uh, as, a, as a Bengali disease. That's something that I kind of mentioned. That, uh, so the new cholera was kind of con uh, considered to be Asian, Indian, and particularly Bengali in its ways. In fact, um, the medical personnel, they kind of mentioned this word Asiatic cholera. So kind of to, to demarcate between the cholera mob or something that was already known to the West and what was happening in Bengal. And it was this arbitrary and the erratic nature of the disease that kind of made it more alarming. So, so this is something that, uh, in fact, in, 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 in several medical reports that it was kind of noted that the epidemic did not really appear to follow any obvious or rational line of progression. So there were times when, for example, one village um, was struck by the epidemic and, uh, and in fact, it kind of travels from one village to the other, as in the neighboring villages. And suddenly it kind of di disappears one day, very, all of a sudden. 
and it doesn't kind of uh, resurface for a few months and again it comes back. So it was this uh, mystifying nature, as Anand puts it, and this unpredictability that was kind of uh, made it more uh, perplexing and the more mystifying for the uh, for the Europeans, for the British people. No, it was widely believed that uh, that this this disease originated in the swamps of the, uh, the Delta Egg Bengal. So as I said, that you know, in, it was in August 1817 in Joshua in the Ganges Delta that was struck by cholera, where the epidemic seems to have originated. And it, it was from there that it moved to the other parts of India and later to, in fact, China, Japan. And uh, the second pandemic, in fact, for that matter, in 1829, proved to be more severe. And it kind of advanced to Europe and between 1830, that was in between 1830 and 32. And, and it kind of crossed Atlantic to reach like the states by 1832 and um, and again by 1840s it was there in central africa uh, so so what i mean to say is that by by the end of 1850s uh, it was almost there in every corner of the world now in european imagination um, this deadly disease uh, as they kind of called it it was a deadly uh, deadly beast from the east a uniquely Indian, like inherently and uniquely Indian uh, disease and was kind of wholly distinct. Now, the two men who were largely responsible for conceptualizing cholera as an Asiatic disease um, were uh, physicians John Macpherson and Charles McNamara. So the two works that I would like to mention here are um, by Macpherson. and he kind of wrote the Annals of Cholera from the earlier times to 1817. That was um, published in the 1870s, early 1870s. And again, by McNamara, again, publishing, I think, uh, his, his work, I think, uh, came out in 1876. And he wrote the treatise, The History of Asiatic Cholera. So in both these work, uh, that they kind of agreed upon upon and, and, and they kind of uh, really agreed upon both of them was that cholera being internally Asian, while neither of them could actually uh, like uh, find any proof for that matter, like, as in the existence of cholera in ancient India or, uh, or something. But nevertheless, they did kind of um, uh, like um, mention that India was kind of believed to be logically unique and something that cholera was essentially a Bengali disease. And and in their and uh, in their work, the way they kind of uh, spoke about cholera, wrote about Bengal, um, and what is uh, and how their connection between uh, the uh, you know the climatic conditions in Bengal and um, the natural habitation of Bengal, uh, it kind of almost kind of stigmatized. Um, uh, Bengal, uh, because there was again this, uh, it's important to kind of also note that there was this um, connection between filth uh, being considered as the main cause of cholera, right? So, um, so yeah, so, so it's just all of this taking together and, and Macaulay, in fact, he kind of, uh, his portrait of Bengal being as the epitome of filth, as he said, and barbarity was kind of, uh, in fact, uh, to large extent, inspired by cholera epidemic. So as, as uh, Arnold again has pointed out that, you know, like uh, cholera was highly a political disease and uh, an epidemic that was not only accidental, accidentally Indian, but rather essentially Indian. 
and uh, it kind of illustrates how the space was realistically colonized under the British Raj. So there was this common fear, you know, the European fear of this extreme hot and humid Indian climate that not only added to their apprehensions, uh, but also to their uh, vulnerability. And also, in fact, was in a way instrumental in the etiology of cholera being seen as an Indian epidemic. So it's just not the fear of hot and humid climate, but the soil, the dirt, the filth, as well as the religious pilgrimage, everything taken together kind of, you know, like, like essentialized cholera as seen, being seen as an Indian disease. Uh, thank you, Dr. Dutta. Uh, for our last question today for you, you mentioned several times in your research that uh, colonial anxiety regarding maritime space to British maritime hygiene. And uh, we were wondering if you could discuss this connection between drunkenness and cholera further. Uh, were they two separate problems that provoke similar responses? Or did the colonial authorities see a causal relationship between one and the other? Um, so yes, this connection between uh, cholera and uh, drunkenness is something that uh, really kind of got me interested for in the very first uh, couple of years of my research. So, you know, something that I mentioned in, uh, in the first um, section of this uh, podcast, where I kind of mentioned that how sailors were seen as, as being promiscuous, as, uh, you know, as drunken sailors. So even in, uh, when these European seamen, when they were visiting Calcutta, and their favorite haunt was the Flag Street, which was in uh, in a in an area in Calcutta known as the Lal Bazaar. Some it, it, this in fact this place is still very much there, and it's very close to my uh, home. In fact, so it this this place was kind of full of taverns, and uh, it was maintained both by Indians as well as Europeans, and uh, in fact Europeans from Italy, Spain, or Portugal. The, the captains of the ships who would often visit the gambling and the drink uh, and the drinking dens for that matter, sometimes accompanied by police constables, in fact, uh, try to kind of retrieve the sailors in time uh, uh, for their outward journey. So as, as to kind of uh, answer what was the connection between drunkenness and cholera in the Indian uh, in, in Calcutta port city. So in fact, there was this there was this um, large outcry, kind of, and, and there was a lot of concern against the grog shops uh, and the danger, you know, that the kind of um, that kind of dangerous effects that they had on British soldiers and sailors. Uh, there was it was considered that you know like the spirit that was kind of sold there was like particularly bad and very cheap, and because it was very cheap, obviously, um, like other sailors kind of really indulged in them. In fact, it's noted that, you know, like many of their medals were robbed and um, obviously uh, several of them died of these drinks. So, so just before I kind of expand on this, so I just would like to uh, say that so 76% of the cholera victims in Calcutta at this point in 1860s were the floating population and most of them were sailors. So this disease, suffering and mortality among seamen which were principally obviously associated with poor eating habits, stale contaminated air, or, you know, like, like in general, the unhealthy climatic conditions, something that we we're mentioning before. But apart from that, it was also drunkenness and obviously the, their visits to the local prostitutes. So when we're talking about drunkenness, I, I would like to kind of really talk about adulterated liquor. So it was just not mere drunkenness that kind of caused cholera. 
So it was rather the consumption of adulterated liquor. So the story that we get here was uh, that how the poisonous extract of um, Coccolus indicus, which was um, in fact popularly known as the black extract, uh, was mixed with malt liquors to increase the level of intoxication uh, as a economized production cost perhaps. So like even a small amount of lead, in fact, acted as a small poison. It, they, so, so the people who kind of responsible for this adulteration were not only seen as frauds, but as well as murderers uh, by uh, many of these, uh, like, uh, you know, Europeans writing about this adulterated liquor sale. Now, the liquor shops are also kind of employed, um, you know, to kind of attract um, uh, these um, European uh, seamen, they kind of employed abandoned uh, women as prostitutes, you know, kind of under the cover of domestic servitude, obviously. Now, these women went into the pyres and kind of lured sailors into their establishment. So, in fact, many of these uh, shops kind of sold this liquor exclusively for sailors named Sailor Jack or um, Tom's Brandy, prepared uh, this from a strong arrack mixed with poisonous juice of datura, the juices of tobacco, chilies, and opium. So it was this mixture of beer, water, vinegar, soap, nuts, you know, and so on, and, and being sold at a very uh, low price that, that really kind of attracted the sailors. So some colonial officials kind of reported a conspiracy by the deceitful and the cruel and the danger of natives to kind of get this innocent, in quotes, I would say, white sailors drunk and stealing their possessions. So in fact, uh, I would like to mention um, someone called Mich A.L. Michel, who was a seaman's chaplain. He kind of gave this vivid description on how crimps kind of operated in Indian port cities and how the, basically how the crimping system in Calcutta worked and um, where crimps, they formed gangs. Um, they, they also kind of called themselves runners and he accused them of being uh, harpies and kind of enticing sailors to consume drugged liquor. These white sailors were kind of seen as these unfortunate victims, uh, you know, in, in the hands of the conspirators who were these Indian crimps. So all this kind of led to a concern over the quality of liquor being sold at the grog shops and, uh, and that were kind of avail being available to the European sailors. In fact, the situation was such as Norman Sheffers, he kind of points out that the adulterated liquor was so difficult, sorry, so it was this unadulterated liquor that was so difficult to obtain that a sober man, so by sober man, he means a British sailor that could hardly even get a drink of proper beer. So, um, so in many of these cases, um, these sailors who were kind of uh, were found to suffer from cholera after taking kind of consuming this poisonous um, liquor purchased from these local grog shops that kind of um, that kind of instigated mortality among the seamen. And thus it was found that mortality among the European seamen was comparatively much higher than the rest of the European population. Uh, thank you, Dr. Judah. Um, I was curious if you had any thoughts to conclude our time together today. 
So yes, thank you, Julie. And I'm, I must say that I really enjoyed today's podcast. And thank you for your questions. They were really interesting. And in fact, while I was kind of talking, I was speaking about this topic again, because I, I kind of really researched on it. And I submitted my thesis back in 2019. And since then, I've been kind of trying to write um, my book out of it. And, and, and it really helped me kind of to think about um, some of the questions that kind of came into my mind while I was speak, speaking to you today. And um, so, so to, just to conclude, perhaps I would just like to say that, you know, for my ongoing research and, uh, and also for my future projects, in fact, something that I would really like to reflect and address is to the question of this legacies of imperialism and colonialism in a post-colonial world. Um, as to also kind of reflect on how social and health inequalities are still determined by race and ethnicity. For example, the question, um, you know, to kind of question and reflect on how entangled histories of tropical medicine, uh, public health and colonialism continue to have a social, political, cultural and economic relevance to global health, if I could say so. So to, to that kind of um, understand and reflect on what is colonial about global health. So I would just like to conclude by saying that it's really important um, for historians um, to kind of uh, question and uh, reflect on how histories kind of really set the scene for essential discussions about the present and as well as the future of the healthcare and healthcare policies. Thank you very much, Dr. Zuta, for discussing your work and your projects. Uh, this was really fascinating, and I think we are all looking forward to reading your monograph when it will be ready. Uh, for our auditors today, all the links of the mentioned papers will be added in the description of this podcast. To conclude, I would also like to thank Samuel Riemann for organizing and editing this podcast. Thanks to all the listeners, wherever you are, for downloading or streaming this podcast. Once again, my name is Julie Babin, and you have been listening to the Indian Ocean World Podcast. We would like to acknowledge the generous support of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. The Indian Ocean World podcast is produced under the Shirk-funded partnership of Crazy Risk Past and Present. The podcast runs in conjunction with the annual speaker series at the Indian Ocean World Centre at McGill University of Montreal. Next Wednesday on the podcast, we will be speaking to Dr. Harriet Mercer of Cambridge University. The first speaker in the fall speaker series will be Professor Andrew Avaska of Concordia University on Wednesday, October 12th. Listeners in the Montreal area are cordially invited to attend and should contact the Centre for details.